Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. Some of you used to being in traffic this time on a Friday and you're at church and you're wondering how did you get here and who bargained you and with what hot cross buns did they convince you to come to church? It's all good. We use all forms for the gospel. Hot cross buns with Nutella on them. Oh, yes. Welcome to church. It is Easter. It is Good Friday. And um, just to read for us this, I'm going to invite my wife up to come and read a scripture for us this morning as we fix our eyes on Jesus, his cross, and his glory this morning. This is my wife, Candice. Morning. Luke 23, verse 20, from verse 26. As the soldiers led him away, they seized Simon from Serene, who was on his way in from the country and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. For the time will come when you will say, Blessed are the childless women, the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if people do these things when the tree is green, what will happen? When it is dry, two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, He saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine, vinegar, and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminals rebuked him. Don't you fear God? He said. Since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about noon, and the darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, for the sun stopped shining and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. Lord, thank you for your word. We read this book like no other, God. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for your love, your sacrifice. And we come today not out of religious duty. We worship today not out of some kind of religious act. We come because we're a grateful people. A grateful people with a mighty Savior and King. And we glorify your name today. We give you all the praise, all the honor. We worship your King. Amen. Amen. If you're not used to church and and this is new for you and you were wondering where the ball was for the karaoke, we'll get it next week. The machine wasn't working. I apologize. 
actually been to church where someone was trying to follow it with one of those laser t- things. It's very scary. But it is Friday, and um, it's an amazing day. It's, it's kind of, it's, it's called Good Friday. And I suppose the automatic question someone actually asked me the other day was, well, why is it such a good Friday? If it's the day of the cross, if it's the day of that brutality, it doesn't seem like a good Friday. Well, it's a somber reality that we come to church this morning. Sunday is coming, but I believe this day is important for every believer and everyone who would allow the cross to come before them, allow the cross to be part of their gaze in that moment. The reason the world stops for a moment and millions upon millions of people go to church in this moment. Millions of people go to church at Easter more than Christmas and even more than Mother's Day. It's a miracle. Moms can't even get their kids to church more than Easter can. It's a miracle. It's amazing. But maybe it's because we're all asking the same question. For believers, it's coming and wondering and and fixing our eyes on Jesus again and being overwhelmed by the glory of Jesus. And maybe a whole bunch of people are coming to church and they're asking this question, what if it's true? Simple question, what if it's true? What if he did love me that much? What if... This love is that glorious. What if it's true? Maybe some people today need those answers. It's an amazing thing for the Christian faith. There are many things that could have become the symbol of the Christian faith. I would have chosen maybe something like a rainbow, a sign of promise that was given to God's people, a rainbow full of colors. Let that be the the sign of the Christian faith. Why not the little fish thing? I think it's called the itchkiss or something. You know the fish thing that used to be on the back of bumper stickers? We don't see it that often anymore, but you've all done it somewhere along the line. Get the little ring on the key ring, and it's called the itchkiss, something like that. I'm probably not pronouncing it right, but what about the dove? The dove, a symbol of peace and, and a sign of the Holy Spirit and amazing things, but actually the symbol of our faith that God has ordained and led us is a symbol of the cross, a symbol representing shame and suffering. And brutality in that moment, an emblem of these things, the crucifixion, the most painful and shameful way to die. And I've been thinking much about this moment, this day, Good Friday, what do you preach? I I don't want to get clever. I want to fix our eyes on the cross. I want us to be reminded, if you're a believer here, it's good for you to be reminded of the wonder and the brutality of the cross. Cicero was so incensed by the brutality of the cross that he forbid decent Roman citizens to even speak of it because it was too dastardly in its description and the details of crucifixion. This crucifixion even came up with its own word. If you've used the word excruciating, it is a word that they came up. It came from crucifixion. It came up with a detail and it described the pain experienced in crucifixion. That's to come up with a new word for it because there was nothing that kind of captivated how drastic and how radical this death was. Crucifixion wasn't a death by bleeding. It was a death by asphyxiation. And now we know Jesus wasn't the only man ever crucified, but Jesus was the only king ever crucified, the only innocent one ever crucified, the only one who came from heaven to earth to get onto that cross so that we can find freedom. And he died, and his body would have died in that moment, not because of the beatings or the floggings. They would be laid down. And it it speaks about how 
Pilate ordered him to be scourged, which to be flogged. It meant a cat of nine tails, these whipped with leather straps. And at the end of these straps, these hooks and pieces of bone and would be placed on the end. And he would be laid down on the ground, tied to tent pegs and whipped and beaten as these hooks dug into his body, pulling out flesh, pulling out bone, pulling out pieces of our Savior's body. And then placed upon a cross, he was called to walk up a hill. He couldn't carry the burden of that cross himself. He got, they had to call a man to help him. And Simon of Cyrene gets pulled to help him. And he walks up the hill carrying his own cross that he didn't deserve. It's brutal. And then they would nail him to that cross, hands and feet to a cross. Someone who was crucified would be nailed to that cross. We, we struggle with this. Hollywood can't do it justice. We struggle. And upon that cross, the eventual death of a person Sentenced to die in that manner would be asphyxiation. As the body would get beaten and bruised and would begin to droop. The only way to sustain your life would be to push yourself off nailed in feet. And the ability to handle that pain, the ability to navigate that pain was the ability and the, the length of which you would continue to live. Until eventually you would allow, your body couldn't take it anymore. And the person would drop down, slouch down. Unable to breathe, unable to take in air. It's gruesome. One of the greatest errors of the church and many Christians is we make the cross palatable. We make it something light, something understandable. It's understandable and it's, it's challenging because it becomes emblems and we put it around our necks and we put it on cars, but it's, it's tragic. Isaiah 52 wrote, he would be marred beyond human likeness. A crown of thorns placed upon his head in mockery of this king. King of the Jews placed above his head. Crown of thorns resting with blood pouring down. Isaiah 53, he was despised, rejected by men, acquainted by grief. See, this, this is how Jesus died. We know this, it's history, this is the story, this is how Jesus died. This is the brutality of Good Friday. Welcome to church. Are you... Still here, thank you for staying with us. It's wonderful to have you with us this morning. Don't worry, Sunday is coming. Sunday's coming, we know that now, but this is how our Savior died. But the bigger question, the bigger reason, the thing you've got to know is why did He die? Because without the why, without understanding that the cross wasn't just a sign of brutality, the cross is the love of God. The perfect, perfected love of God, this cross, this brutal cross, the crucifixion, we cannot fully and truthfully fully understand the love of God unless we get the crucifixion. Unless we come back to moments like this where we're reminded that every time we remember his body that was broken, we are reminded that a Savior left the perfection of heaven and came to the mess of this world so that heaven could keep touching the dirt of this earth, allowed his body to be broken and beaten and bruised, allowed himself to be mocked by his creator, creation. Why? So that the gospel could take a hold of our life. So we can sing songs like, oh, to be like him, to give all I have. What, what, what words are those? Oh, to be like him, to be like God. Yeah. That's what the cross says. See, it's an amazing thing. When a prominent man of this world or a prominent woman of this world dies, the world get enamored. They start asking questions. And some of the things people want to know in our world is, what were their last words? What were their last actions? Those are important things in our world. 
So I went and studied some of the most prominent people in the world. This is what Oscar Wilde had to say in his last statement. He said, the wallpaper is dreadful. One of us will have to go. I mean, I don't think that would be my chosen statement. I mean, I've been thinking about it since that. It definitely wouldn't be that. Um, Leonardo da Vinci, an incredible artist who achieved so much, he had a regret in his last statement. He said, I have offended God and mankind because my work didn't reach the quality it should have. Steve Jobs, simple words, oh wow, oh wow, oh wow, everyone guessing what he's seeing, what he's thinking. And then the men of all men, Sir Winston Churchill, final words, I'm bored with it all. <laughs> it's quite a thing, really. I still haven't got my final words. I'm thinking, don't worry, I'll come back to you next year. But they're also then their final actions. What are people's final actions? And, and everyone's got their bucket lists. It's, it's walk the Great Wall of China, drive Route 66, run with the bulls, obviously. Um, see the northern lights. I actually did a wedding, a funeral two weeks ago. And this man was a, a man who in his life had actually walked up to a stranger on the promenade, licked their ice cream and kept on walking. Well, that is something I've got to add to my bucket list. So you, everyone has to do that once in life. Just once. Uh, just why not? But when we read this passage, the word of God, our Savior, had a final act. A final word. I don't think it was a coincidence that Jesus, when we see all the pictures in the description of the cross, that there's one, not one cross, just Jesus on the, his own. There are three crosses. That Jesus is in the middle of these two thieves. I don't think that's coincidence. I think in every detail of the word of God, in every detail of every story, there is the redemptive loving hand of God. I've loved the stories that have come back. Maybe you've asked why we call this week Red Week. Well, Redemption Week. As people have gone into hospitals and prayed and loved people, as people have been to old age homes, as, as young people and kids have gone into environments and loved people, as people have been praying on the streets and handing and loving our communities and having whole, if you couldn't get hold of the cops last night, because we were praying for them. Give them a break. Because we believe there's not an inch of humanity which the redemptive love of God cannot touch. There's not one, not one inch over which Jesus doesn't shout, Mine! Why? Because his blood was poured on that day and he chose in that last act on the cross to be crucified between two thieves. His final act of the cross was saving a sinner, a criminal, clutching him back from the jaws of hell because of his love, his grace. That's my king. Maybe you're at church asking question, who is God? Well, that's my God. That's my king, his last act. And one of, we, we see these two guys, these two criminals on either side, and to be honest, they're quite relatable in many ways. The first one responds, and it's, this is his story. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. He's on a cross himself, and he's hurling insults at the guy next to him. It's quite an interesting position to be in. He says, aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. It's a relatable statement, question that many pose. It's, aren't you God? Prove it. If you're God, save yourself. And actually, if you're truly God, and if you're really God who loves, and if you're really good, prove it to me and save me too. 
because I'm on a cross, a whole bunch of things have gone wrong in my life, and I'm not just on a cross because I did one thing wrong, because my father probably left me, I had to live up on the streets, I ended up stealing, and now I'm on a cross, and save me then if you're the Savior and you're so good. Does that sound like a common story? I'm a pastor, I hear the stories. You don't know where I've been? No, I don't, probably. You don't know what I've seen, you don't know what my father did didn't do. I don't. So where was God? I, I don't think he was silent. It's no different to us. I'm reading the story and I'm going, God, won't you break in? Won't you just reveal to this guy on this cross something of your glory, something of your grace, as you have done to me? Because to be honest, that used to be my thing too. I went through a nice, angry, young, 19-year-old teenager stage. Anyone else have one of those? No one of you are honest. And um, it's church. You have to be honest. And my parents got liquidated and our world fell apart. And things went from really good to really bad. And, a whole, and I'm, I'm going, God, where are you? Show yourself. It's a pretty relatable place to be. In his own mess, on his own cross, shouting at God, going, prove it to me. Prove it to me. And Jesus doesn't respond why doesn't he respond? Well, because actually, when we come to the cross, there's no response of God required because the cross in itself is just a glorious invitation. A glorious invitation to Jesus. In Matthew 11, it says, Jesus, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. The cross is an invitation to rest. You need rest? Then fix your eyes on the cross. And say yes to the invitation. Jesus speaks to them in Mark chapter 1. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. You need a story in your life. You want your life to count for something. You want Jesus to give you a story. Well, Jesus says the cross is an invitation to a glorious story being a disciple of Jesus. Jesus also says in John 15 verse 4, abide in me and I will abide in you. Probably the greatest invitation is Jesus says, fix your eyes on the cross, an invitation to be with me, just to be with me. We make church about so many other things. We make religion about so many things. We make Jesus and his story about so many other things. And actually, at the end of the day, the cross is an invitation to be with Jesus. He said, I'm laying down my life so you can be with me and you can see the glorious Father. See, the other criminal speaks in verse 40, but the other criminal rebuked him. He rebukes the one who spoke first. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He, he's on his cross. He leans over, shouts across the other guy, are you crazy? Don't you fear God? This guy's done nothing. We deserve to be here. It's not also something you're going to hear very often. Imagine you go to court, you go witness someone who's just been caught for housebreaking. Judge hits the gavel. 20 years for you. Yeah, I would have gone for 25, but 20 is good. I deserve it. I am guilty. Anyone ever watched a TV show like that, been to court? It's like, yeah, good call, judge. I deserve it. See, the problem with the first guy is he's going, I don't deserve it. This guy's going, I do deserve it. Who's the one that sees Jesus? He does a few simple things. See, he doesn't say, I've done nothing wrong. He says, this guy's done nothing wrong. I've deserved this punishment. 
He recognized that something was in the middle. Jesus was sinless and perfect. Isaiah speaks about him in 53, but he was pierced for our transgressions. Why is Jesus on a cross today? Maybe you've got to answer that question to yourself or maybe to your kids like I've had to do recently. Well, he's on the cross because of my transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. You can have peace, but there was punishment dealt out. It was put on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. And then he just says these words, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He does three simple things. Maybe you need to do three simple things today. Maybe you need to stop shouting and looking for justification and giving energy to anger and rather do three simple things like this man did on his cross. He recognized God. He says, do you not fear God? He recognized that there is God above. And then he says, we are punished justly for we are getting what we deserve. One of the hardest things for people to come to terms with is recognize your own sin. Oh, Mark, I've never, never broken a speed limit. Never, it's not about that. It's about the fact that coming into this world, you inherit the sin of Adam. You get given that in your story. Unfortunately, sir or ma'am, there is a brokenness. I didn't have to teach my kids to hit their brother on the head with a cricket bat. That comes naturally sometimes to them. It's amazing. There are things they learn on their own. And yet, he just has to do one thing. He calls on the name of Jesus. He says, Jesus, I don't even think he shouted it. I think he just turned his head looked at Jesus who on his own cross with his own blood dripping down with his own fluids and bodily fluids lying at the bottom of his cross he recognizes the king of kings perfect in all his ways just says Jesus will you remember me he recognizes God he recognizes sin and he calls on the name of Jesus maybe you hear today and say that's too easy you wouldn't be the first person to say that Who's this guy on a cross? Surely he's got to jump. He's got to do some stuff. Where's the, where's the church orientation course? Where's the Bible initiation course? And any other courses that you might be able to think of that I can't think of right now that I should do? Where's the three weeks without swearing or the two weeks without speeding or the one week without kicking the dog? Where's that stuff that needs to come in and then you're a believer? And Jesus just says to him, today you will be with me in paradise. He doesn't say next week when you haven't kicked the dog for a week, when you haven't sworn. When No, today, you, no, not three weeks' time once you've done all the courses and you've got the, no, today you will be with me in paradise. You're struggling with what it looks like to be a Christian and we've got to measure it out and see it over the next 10 years. No, it's got nothing to do. It's Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. It's Jesus plus His blood, His glory, His goodness. That is the gospel. There is no other gospel. There is one gospel where it's a savior on a cross and a criminal. He deserved what he, he's getting. He deserves death. He's done what he's done. He's not denying it. I don't know what he's done. I don't even know his name. I just know that there is a story in paradise. But you know what's better than paradise? You will be with me. You will be with me. Maybe that's what you need to hear today. You will be with me. Good Friday is a gruesome reminder that salvation is available. Jesus still in the midst of his pain, his excruciating pain on that cross. 
He could have said so many other things. He could have finished with a final speech, like a, a Winston Churchill kind of final speech that stuck around and people plastered over his walls, over their walls for years to come and bumper stickers. So the church have got even better bumper stickers. Now he doesn't choose to do any of that. He chooses to save a sinner who had no way to his father as his final act. I love it. And Jesus speaks to Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19. Jesus said to him, and Zacchaeus has he's climbed the tree. He's looking for Jesus. He's this, this guy who's done a whole bunch of things wrong. And, and, and Jesus says to him, today salvation has come to his house. Because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. God didn't come to entertain the church. He didn't even come to form a church. He came to see sinners broken people with their own stories and dirt upon their lives. Touched by heaven. What if it's true? One day, three men climbed a hill, each with a cross on their back. Three men were nailed to a cross. They were flogged. They were beaten. The first man, guilty, First man shouting his accusations, receiving his due punishment, death. The second man, guilty, but recognizing his sin, recognizing God, and calling on one name, Jesus. What if it's true that today he's with Jesus in paradise? Still guilty on that cross, still guilty in his brokenness and deserving of death, and yet washed by the blood of Jesus, made righteous. And when the Father looks at him in the light of the scales of eternity, he sees his son. Another man in the middle. Broken, beaten, bruised. Pieces of his flesh torn off. Another man who was God, who left heaven to come to earth to die a death we couldn't die so that we could live life that we couldn't live without him. On a cross hung a man who redefined who I am. See, because the definition of my life is actually coming out of the womb without Jesus is not, not insecure anymore. When I look at those videos, I know those people's stories. The young man who put up a picture said 16 years of insecurity. I know that he's thrown himself into community, been washed, been loved, seen Jesus, seen life come upon him. I've watched life begin to pour through his veins where insecurity used to pour out through him. You can see the life of God and the security of sonship be inside of him. And I got to stand with him last night as he went for a big interview. And he says, my office is on the 16th floor. I can see you from Cape Town. It's not about the job, and it's not about, it's about who, what God does with men and women who will recognize the king and who will reach out and call his name. Three men hung on a cross. Years ago, God's people journeying, and God's glory falls off. A man tries to stop it from touching the dirt of the earth. And God says, never again will men stop my glory touching the dirt of this earth. Then Jesus came to make that way possible. Good Friday isn't just the precursor for Sunday. It is that. But it's also a moment where as a believer, we have to take stock. As a believer, we have to stand and we have to stare like they did at Golgotha. They stood and they, 
And I wonder what was going on in their hearts. And in that moment where Jesus breathed his laugh, said, it is finished. I wonder if there wasn't people breathing in going, what if it's true? And we stood here. And yet we get to sing songs of praise. And we get to stand here today knowing the story, believing his word and reading the Bible like no other. Saying, God, thank you for life. Thank you for freedom. Thank you for joy. Thank you that you get into my insecurities. I hadn't seen the other video, but we get to say goodbye to insecurity. We get to say goodbye to our brokenness. And maybe your story has been one where you deserve guilt. You deserve. Maybe you're sitting here going, if only this preacher man knew what I have done. If only he knew what I, that what I did yesterday or last night or this morning. If only this preacher man, he wouldn't be saying what he's saying. No, so you don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've thought. You don't know what. And Jesus knows. He knew all along. He took every bit of it on that cross. Every bit of it. There were three thieves on those crosses. One man received grace. The other didn't. And the man in the middle stole the sting of death so that you and I could find life. And we get to praise him. We get to worship him. Can you stand with me this morning? We're going to have communion together. Where we remember his blood. Jesus taught us in Matthew, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood, this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Can we close our eyes just for a moment, please. We are going to take communion, and as a priesthood and as believers, we're going to stand this morning and thank our King. But before we do that, I've got to ask you a question. If you haven't made the decision to worship Jesus, it's not a question anyone else can answer for you. Your history can't answer for you. Your Christian background can't answer for you. Your lineage can't answer for you. Where you come from can't answer it for you. And what you've been, seen, and done can't answer it for you. Only you can answer the question, what if it's true? What if it's true that God so loved the world that he gave a son to die for you? What if it's true that the only way to the Father is through the blood of Jesus? What if it's true that there's eternal life Today and forever in Jesus. What if it's true? Don't do it for another person in this room, another person in this world. Make a decision for yourself. Make a decision and recognize God. Recognize that you need His saving grace because sin is in our lives. Because it rips, it brings distortion and chaos. And God says, I want to take that off. I want to bring freedom and life to your story. And then just do what that guy did on that cross. We don't even know his name, but... He's with Jesus. Say, Jesus. Jesus. If you haven't received Jesus this morning, we can't just move on. I want to give you an opportunity to make that decision. What if it's true? Make that decision. Don't let someone else make that decision for you. Oh, my father did this. No, then you're letting someone else make a decision for you because there's only one father who will bring life to the death parts of our lives. There's only one father who speaks his words into the caverns of our soul where there is pain. There's one father who sent his son to die. It was his will to crush him. There's one father and he's saying, come home. But the cross is just an invitation. 
Can we have our eyes closed this morning? I pray if you hear this morning, say, Mark, I haven't made that decision. I haven't called his name. Just before we take communion as a family, I'd love to pray with you. Make that decision today. If that's you, will you raise your hand so I can see and pray with you this morning? Amazing. Are there any others? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your saving grace, for every hand raised, for every story changed. I want to tell you, if you raised your hands today, what was death is today life. Where there was death and chaos and where you deserved punishment, I want to tell you today you get his life. Where you deserved punishment. I'm not talking where you might have been bad. I'm talking where you deserved it. Jesus goes there. He says, there I bring my freedom. There I bring my healing. There I bring my wholeness. There I bring my life. Where there is death in your life, death in relationships, death in stories, death and no ability to move forward. I want to tell you, watch the life of Jesus pour into your story. Because he didn't die so that life would flow once on a cross. He died so that every day we can come before his throne with freedom. Can we celebrate what Jesus has done today? What was dead is made whole. Thank you, God, for life and life abundant today.